Hello and welcome to a too spoopy edition of One More Go. It's, it's the Halloween episode. Ah, scared. That's, That's Nickel scared. scared. Nickel Hay scared because he's just seen our special guest, Richie Morgan. Yeah. What are you dressed as? What's your Halloween costume? Um, scruffy man. English teacher. <laughs> yes. Nervous IT guy. What have you? Is that what you come as? Uh, no, I've come as uh, I've come as somebody who's trying to cosplay a Seinfeld with only having seen two episodes. Great. I've come as a retro gaming enthusiast, so <laughs> that, that works out quite nicely. And welcome, as we said, welcome back to One More Go. Um, we're going to talk about some vaguely spooky Halloween games for you. I say Halloween games like they're themed on Halloween. They're just how they're. they're Really Everything's themed on Halloween when it involves hints and spookums. And they ha- well, they all they all have the skeletons in them, so that's yeah. It's about, it's about uh, what you want from from this Halloween legally game Halloween. This is the news. So, Nicole, what's been happening in the world of with retro gaming? Um, lots of things. So many things that we should be covering on this up to the minute. Vital finger on the pulse. Yes, Richie. Richie, of course, will know all about. Up to the minute, finger on the pulse. Being a, being a game wank regular, of course, Richie from Game Wank. If any of our listeners are are unfamiliar with him, Game Wank is uh, is the most up to date podcast. GMA nominated. GMA nominated. I believe. <laughs> right, yeah. GMA nominated. Moving on. <laughs> so, um, what, what what has been happening? Well, uh, uh, the most exciting thing to happen in this or any other month was that uh, Vib Ribbon has come to the PlayStation Network. For merely £3.99, pence, you can own one of the PlayStation 1's greatest gaming Aye, experiences. No, no four-time link. I was very happy about that. Do you think that came from the um, incredible amount of chatter that for, uh, post E3? Oh, when they yeah. sort of brought up Vibribbon for a minute and everyone went, is this it? Is this... And then they just stopped talking about it. I forgot all about that. I again. forgot all about that. I don't remember that. What, what was that chat? It, that, that was all it. I think they just was it the place during the PlayStation. Do you know? I can't even remember what the context was. One of the boys, was. I'm sure, he just said Vib, just said, Vib Ribbon. It's like one of my favorite games, Vib Ribbon, or something like that. And then they show Vib Ribbon on the screen, and everyone like you could see Twitter going, "Whoa, guys, is this it?" <laughs> it's, it's, it's and then, and then is this the moment where we actually want a PlayStation Four? And then it goes away, and everyone's left wondering what the hell was that but now it's back but now it's, it's back. back Vib Ribbon's back so go and buy that immediately yeah Vib Ribbon is the game that uh, Matsura-san did after Parappa the Rapper. it's kind of a cross between a rhythm action game and an endless runner and uh, you play a sort of vector graphic crazy looking rabbit who uh, runs along a, a straight line almost like a tightrope there's various obstacles that you have to time your reaction to get over each obstacle corresponds to a button on the pad uh, and just hit them in, in time. Um, it's got bags of character anyway, and just that game and the music that comes with the game is really good fun. It's got a cutie rabbit in it. Absolutely, a cutie rabbit that if you mess up too much turns into a cutie frog mm. and eventually a cutie sperm-looking thing. Hey, it's Japan. <laughs> Are you saying like, quick time because of the buttons? What do you mean? Reggie! <laughs> Sorry. Reggie's game work theme... Th- <laughs> theme fading in. And so to honour this retro video game podcast, Richie's bringing all the dad jokes. Um, but the, winning, no, I genuinely, I, did, I genuinely did think you meant quick time for a second. The quick time rabbit. Ah well, well you're not making it better, Richie. No, I'm not. Um, so I that's that's Vib Ribbon. You should. But the uh, the the uh, the unique selling point of Vib Ribbon is that you can put in your own CD to play your own music and create your own. Uh, it's like in PS One Monster Hunter where you could put in your own CD. 
you get get a monster at your your dad's carpenter's album. <laughs> the one, the one really weird thing about this PlayStation Network version though is is that they they've just ported over the ROM, so there's no option to like play music off like USB or anything that's on your PlayStation 3's hard drive. What I've had to actually on? burn a CD for the first time in about four years and have like a CD to put in my PlayStation to uh, play of course, music. Of course. It's really weird, but um, I can report that Birdhouse in Your Soul by They Might Be Giants makes a very good vibrant track. Of course, of course. <laughs> Surprising zero people in the room. That'll get Richie on the fucking pavement. And I was going to say, playing vibrant to Slanted and Enchanted. Yes. <laughs> so what else has been happening, apart from QT Rabbits? Uh, other things that have happened. Uh, there are some... In the world of crazy guys with too much time in their hands, some people are making a 2D... PC version of Ocarina of Time using like what looks basically like a Link to the Past graphical assets. Is it a, a D-make, inverted commas? Not into that. I guess so. Every, every time I see one of these remake um, stories, I kind of just think, oh, that's nice, and then think, I'm never going to see that again. I tend to... Like, do they... A lot of them get C and D. Like, people have been trying to make... I remember there was a big Chrono Trigger remake and stuff. And right. There's a lot. But, but I mean... Seems like fan games are okay, but like rem- fan remakes tend to, don't know, fall into the C and D net. I don't know. It depends how much you're trying to monetize it as well. I think. Uh, I suppose. I mean, I guess nothing. Nothing's ever going to beat that Chinese NES reproduction of Final Fantasy VII. That's the the ultimate D make. <laughs> like. Christ! How many cartridges do you think that would have come on? It was just on the one. It was on the one cartridge. Really? Any remake success stories other than the. Christian Whitehead Sonic games. Yeah, there's a bunch. Uh, Black Mesa is a pretty good example. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think Nintendo might be less forget. But I mean, I think this is the thing. I think they only get C and D if they look like they're going to be any good, so. Yeah, well. Does this look like it's going to be any good? Well, uh, and the, the other thing as well is that it's. Like, when you're remaking Chrono Trigger, you're making a rival to any attempt Nintendo might have to sell Chrono Trigger in the future. Of course. A 2D version of Ocarina of Time is in no way a credible way of taking sales away from Ocarina of Time. Maybe a nice yeah, idea. But Nintendo are very, um, very protective of their brand as well, though, aren't they? Well, the uh, the website appears to be functioning right now at ott-2d.com, and you can like download little bits of levels or watch videos to see how well they're doing. If that's the sort of thing. That excites you. Does it excite you, Barry? No, but Richie, you're, you're going to say something. No, I'm just imagining a, a lawyer listening to one more ghost slamming his fist on the table. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Getting I the fucking f- love pavement. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the only other bit of news this month, and it's it's not even really retro game related, but it is spooky Halloween related. Good, that's what I like to hear. Um some of you who are into your web comics might be aware of Mr. Zach Gorman, who does a Tumblr, idronintendo.tumblr.com. Um, Nichols' Tumblr section needs its own sting. <laughs> like Alan's deep bath. <laughs> Just the sound of people scrolling their lives away, hoping that they might see something. Well, what might they see on Tumblr? Yeah, Barry's doing the mine. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Zach Gorman, who has done uh, lots of little like one-page strips on uh, classic Nintendo games, mm. we've reblogged them quite often on the One More Go Tumblr, which you definitely should be following for all your Barry miming needs. It's a good Tumblr. Um, 
so he has teamed up with Double Fine to do a, a original graphic novel based around their game Costume Quest, mm. and it's absolutely lovely. It's called Invasion of the Candy Snatchers. I heartily recommend it. It's available at all good comic shops, Amazon. You can get it on digitally, or you could go to Double Fine's website and buy it directly. And I urge you to do so because it's great. Yeah, so you think about uh, Junji Ito making a Pokemon manga? I did see that. Yeah, uh, by, by Banette and. Yeah, spookiness. I like that. I like when Pokemon gets edgy because there's all that like super edgy stuff in the manga, but like the, the Pokemon kind of die and turn into zombies. Don't you see any of that stuff? Uh, I've not seen it, but like, isn't that all like kind of in like the the sort of like original Pokemon canon? Whenever you like read the descriptions of any of the ghost Pokemon, they're all sort of like, yeah, this is a this is a Pokemon yeah, that died or was neglected Pokemon. by yeah. a child. <laughs> That's bleak. Ruined Richie's childhood for <laughs> Yeah, well. The only bit of news I've really got to talk about is I spent last night taking pictures of Wii U box art with the Game Boy camera, which was was good. It was good. <laughs> I, f- I felt like science was happening, so that was good. Are you, did you, you print them out? Have you got any stickers left? Well, a uh, friend of the show, Ross, um, just bought some new printer paper. But apparently, Game Boy printer paper goes bad over time because it's just thermal paper, eh? Right. And it yeah. seems to have lost its thermal properties. So uh, you can use regular receipt paper, but it's not stickers, is it? Is Which it? was the the selling point of the Game Boy printer, I guess. Mm. What are you going to do, Barry? You're just going to have to like draw pictures of like, the bayonet box art on cont- people's faces. Basically, I'm just going to have to continue to look at bayonet on the screen of a Game Boy Color. Which imagine fine. using receipt paper is not going to be great as well. I can imagine a sort of big red line up and loads of smudging and a twenty-item Greg's bill <laughs> using existing receipts. <laughs> Print, printing pictures of Pokemon on here. Like, you see the you see the betraying that you've had some very bad receipt experiences in your past, Richie. Oh, that's a bad. I oh, got a bad receipt, guys. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, I'll never be able to return this now. <laughs> I'll never be able to return this half-eaten yum-yum. What have you been playing, Barry? Well, since we said it's kind of Halloween and we were feeling kind of spoopy and we all picked relatively spoopy games, I decided to pick something that's not only terrifying for its sheer spooky content, but also because it is horrendously difficult. So I have chosen Ghouls and Ghosts. There's a there's a Halloween name for you. Have you heard one? So uh, Ghouls and Ghosts, known as Dai Makaimura in Japan, um, the second game in the Ghosts and Goblins series, or the Makaimura series, as it's known in Japan. Just a bit, I think the thing that confuses a lot of people is Ghosts and Goblins, Ghouls and Ghosts, Super Ghouls and Ghosts. Um, they're, they're the first three games of the Ghosts and Goblins series, the first one being a kind of NES and arcade classic, but again, they've all been ported to hundreds of stuff. So people think that Super Ghouls and Ghosts is just another port of Ghouls and Ghosts, but it's not. It's the SNES exclusive version of Ghouls and Ghosts. What fools people are. Exactly. Well, this is the reason is like, there were, I mean, the names in Japanese were obviously even more similar. Makaimura, Dai Makaimura, and Cho Makaimura. So. 
they were di- more different than we had, I guess, but it was still enough to confuse people. Yeah, I mean, we're already at the stage where if you asked me to relay anything that you just said back to you, I wouldn't be able to. This, <laughs> Ghouls and Ghosts is the second game in the Ghosts and Goblins right. series. That's okay. all I need to remember. It's okay, it's, Richie. It's okay, we'll get it. <laughs> released in 1988. Don't need to worry about it. It's a hard game. You're never going to play it. He's not. Like when he tried to play Dark Souls yesterday, couldn't even get it fucking started. Couldn't even boot it. <laughs> This is, true. this is true um, no, yeah. I'm not, this is true no I'm not actually I'm not cultivating this image at all what I'm even happens is does you died come up on the PS3 home screen <laughs> and you can't get the game to work is that it? that's what it says in his receipt <laughs> so aye fuck right right Girls and, Girls and Ghosts Girls and Ghosts was released in 1988 and it's an arcade platformer kind of run and gun made by arcade platformer run and gun masters Capcom uh, like I said, the sequel to 85's arcade classic, Ghosts and Goblins. Uh, Girls and Ghosts follows protagonist of the series, Arthur the Knight, uh, on his quest to save his beloved princess, Prin Prin, from the clutches of the evil demon king, Lucifer. And that's basically all the story setup you get. That's all the Girls story you needed back in those days. Well, it is. Um, and a lot of people, you'd obviously be forgiven for platform games go with consoles. That's the way it is now, but... It's important to remember that a lot of the platforming greats were arcade games that happened to be ported to home consoles. Uh, the most known port of this is probably the Mega Drive one, mm-hmm. to be honest. But we'll we'll come back to ports because there's a yes. lot of them. Uh, just a bit of background Mega on the series. Drive, Mega Drive. Well, I was going to. I was so close to playing the Mega Drive one, but then I just looked at the Mega Drive sitting there and I was like, nope. Right, Ghosts and Goblins series for anyone that, oh, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't really know this until I started looking into it. Um, was created by Tokuro Fujiwara, who I did know for his work on the Mega Man series. Um, he was a producer on most of the mainline Mega Man games. Um, he's got a sweat on. <laughs> and but like Ghosts and Goblins was his brainchild. It was very much the thing he was responsible for. Uh, Fujiwara was general manager of Capcom's console division all the way up till 1996. Before he left to form Whoopi Camp, who people may know for creating the Tomba series, the what which series? we we won't we won't get into the Tomba oh. series, but Fujiwara also created Tomba, so he created Ghosts and Goblins and he created the Tomba series. Um, so yeah, if you just go and have a look at the games that he's worked on, old old Fujiwara Senpai, he's worked on some serious shit. Like you just need to look at the list, and it's like proper prestige. So he maybe isn't as well known as a lot of the big 80s Japanese game developers but I mean because Ghosts and Goblins was only was really his vision and the rest of the stuff he just worked on but people forget about the the Buzz Aldrin of the big (laughs) game series don't they are you implying the moon landings were Neil Armstrong's idea (laughs) (laughs) whose idea was it Um, Ghosts and Ghosts plays like any classic Capcom run and gun just what you expect you run from left to right and you shoot things and you get absolutely fucked in the process. Um, the, 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 new, the new feature for this game though is that Arthur can shoot up and down as well as you know left to right, which you might be thinking might not seem significant, but it, it really is significant. Unfortunately, because it's significant, the devs were like, Let, let's exploit that as much as possible. So you get a lot of... It's everything from everywhere. Like you would absolutely not believe. Um, Does it have that thing that um, a lot of games where you can shoot directly up? Yeah, yeah. Have where the enemies come at you from above but diagonally. I've played so many NES games. Where, well, and the, it's the thing about Ghosts and Goblins is like enemies have attack patterns. They don't right. just run towards you. 
like the red arium are like the kind of classic ghosts and goblins. Enemy has like a kind of swooping attack pattern, which mm. and but but uh, this is one of the one of the main reasons why ghouls and ghosts is so hard. But uh, I'll just I'll set set the scene a wee bit more. Uh, the game takes place over kind of six levels. It's one of those one of those great games where you see the entire map screen at the start. All right, and you get oh, a nice yeah, wee yeah, jingle, yeah. kind of like a Castlevania or something like that, and you're like, oh Jesus, so this is what I got to look forward to. And you get kind of like a burning village and. A castle and like a kind of ice world and a crystal kind of a crystal kind of mountain and stuff. So, so you go through these kind of spoopy levels and you have to fight skeletons and zombies and monsters and dragons and just all the stuff you'd expect to find in a kind of a game of this name. Um, Arthur can get power ups. He can pick up a bunch of different weapons, uh, stuff like a lance, a torch, a discus, or a dagger. Uh, most of these being projectiles. Uh, you can also pick up armor. He throws a lance at people. Ah, he throws me lances. <laughs> that's that, that's some pretty uh, impressive uh, throwing skill as well as inventory skill. Ar- Arthur is the, the carrying about a hundred lances. In Arthur your is the hardest laddie. Seeing the entire Capcom back catalogue, Arthur is, a, is the hardest. Is a wee lance just a a spear? Uh, I don't think there are such a no, thing as wee lances. You do know what a lance is, right? Yeah, like a lance in this sense is one of those kind of tapered ones. Right, you know, think of like what a cartoon lance looks yeah, like. Yeah, when you go jousting. Yeah, no, you hold I know it, it has a handguard and it kind of tapers to a point at the yeah, end. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just trying to imagine what a wee lance would be. One of those, only smaller. <laughs> I guess. Okay. Just we can just move it further away if that helps you, Richie. <laughs> so, with the exception of these weapons, the, the, you get other power ups. Uh, the most important one being armor. Mm-hmm. Um, the way the health system works in Ghosts and Goblins games and in Ghouls and Ghosts is that you generally you start with a silver suit of armor, you take a hit, you're down to your pants. You take another hit, you're dead. You turn it a pile of bones. So, but you might be thinking, hey, hey, that sounds good. That game where you get two hits. That's that's not really in keeping with the old school platformer aesthetic. But this is this is the thing about uh, Ghouls and Ghosts. Ghouls and Ghosts is actually the easiest of the three, if you can believe that. But it's still in. Given how hard the other ones are, I can believe that this is a very relative statement. The enemy attacks are constant. Their spawning is constant. They spawn right where you're about to jump. They spawn above you. They spawn below you. You kill an enemy and explodes in a cloud of projectiles. It's just constant. Like you need to learn the attack patterns. Is it unfairly hard? Well, no, because if it was unfairly hard, you couldn't complete it. Is what I would. What I would suggest. This is this is um, one of those things that's sort of there's there's probably a definite school of thought that would say that any game that you need to learn the pattern is it takes skill. There are people that can speed run these games. Like there are people that can speed run the entire thing without getting hit once, and that's just down to learning patterns and being a skillful player. But no, I don't think it's no, no, totally. I mean, I, I'm into pattern games as well. I'm just throwing that in there. The thing, big thing you have to remember though is like <laughs> just just throwing out ideas, guys. I'm an ideas man. <laughs> Something I'm going to keep coming back to here is like this was an arcade game. Yeah. Like when you have a console game, you buy it, you sit at home, you play it. But when you got an arcade game and like an arcade game with a time limit, Mm -hmm. so I mean all the all the Ghosts and Goblins games have time limits too, which were less forgiven in the arcade version. (laughs) So it's not like you can take it really slowly either. So these players aren't really stressed enough. <laughs> it gets so much worse. <laughs> so when you're pumping all your fucking yen, your last, your last grand yen savings into this, it's like, oh well, you know, I'm getting the hang of the enemies. But wait, 
these weapons that I told you about, they might sound good, you get a power-up. No, some of the weapons are fucking useless. <laughs> some of the weapons you pick up will actually make it harder to play the game because they are so bad. And sometimes you'll have your favourite weapon, your best weapon, and the worst weapon will appear, will spawn directly in your path. Mm-hmm. And you can't do fucking anything, you have to pick it up. Like, the torch is my least favourite. I constantly pick. And the torch is like a flaming torch that arcs kind of uncontrollably. It's like trying to hit anything with that is like, fuck. You kind of get the feeling that arcs are strong and go, ah! Oh no, no. Basically, and and the platforming as well is like proper arcade stuff, proper, like, your jumps need to be perfect. And they're like short jumps and long jumps and try to do all this well. Getting gang fucked by enemies and throwing an arcing torch in it there. <laughs> I will say something for this game. You do look very, very scared at the thought of playing it again. It's I do, but it's fucking great. I always, I always think it like my kind of four big retro franchises from that time are like Mega Man, Ghosts and Goblins, Castlevania, and Contra. I always see Mega Man being to Castlevania as. Ghosts and Goblins is to Contra. Like, Ghosts and Goblins is Contra levels of difficult, I'd say. Right, okay. It's much harder than Mega Man. A lot of people think Mega Man is like the hard Capcom franchise, but Ghosts and Goblins is much, much, much harder than Mega Man. So you've, you've learned, you've learned what weapons you like. You've, you've got the attack patterns down. You've, you've bested the incredibly difficult bosses. And you've got to the end of the, you've made it. You've got to the end of the game. You're there. You've beat the last boss. But, Here's another staple of the Ghosts and Goblins series. When you get to the end, there is no ending. You have to go back to the start of the game and you have to play it again. You have to play the entire game again. You have to? To see the ending. <laughs> oh. Wow. So well, do you not even right. get like a congratulations when you can play The princess shows up and she's normally like, uh, congratulations, but you need the fucking bracelet thing for the start. <laughs> Go way back and get it. So what I've done is I've copied the thing off the wiki. There's like a, a passage about how you get to the, the final boss right. in Girls and Ghosts. So I'm just going to read it out. I'll just read it out as I copied it. Play through the game once, then you will receive a message saying you need the power of the goddess. When you restart at Girls and Ghosts 1-1, first level, Make sure not to get hurt and get the gold armour. Opening the next treasure chest that appears results in the appearance of a Valkyrie and you will get the power of the goddess, which looks like a magic fireball. It's recommended that the player use this weapon from now until the final boss of the game. You may pick up other weapons along the way, but you must have the magic fireball when you reach the giant fly boss, Beelzebub. If you pick up a different weapon along the way, you can make the Valkyrie respawn by simply getting the magic armour and opening up another chest. This can be done at the last half of the final stage, but can be very difficult. So you oh. need to go back, you need to get the special weapon, and you need to get to Imagine that boss with that weapon. And I'm guessing the game gives you no clues at that. So you've put in your final yen, you've, like, you've been trying for weeks to beat this game, and you finally get it, and it says, nah, nah, try it again. Try it again. And this is a time you as could, well. Though. You could, though, like theoretically, not... In, in actual real life but you could theoretically complete the game fully again on one credit and still not complete the game I know the great thing about Girls and Ghosts is though is by the time you get to the end and you're back to the start your nails you can just walk the first few levels again because like the difficulty curve throughout the game is pretty constant so by the time you get to the end you're a master anyway but the fact that you do have to go back is like for, for especially in those days when people played games to see the endings. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say this is a time when you wouldn't know that was coming. You just wouldn't. 
It feels Ooh. pretty cheap, like, like, like. I mean, I get annoyed in no, games it, like it is cheap, but I get game, annoyed when games like Okami use the same boss twice. I can't imagine that using the entire game twice. It's just the way it goes. It happens in what well, happens in all of them. It happens in Super Girls and Ghosts as well. But you just have to deal with it. No, you don't have to. Oh well, no, you don't have to. <laughs> but if, you, if you want to see the ending. <laughs> All this Stockholm syndrome just settling around Barry like two hits is fine. You only need two hits. I just think it's a testament to like great hard arcade games. Like people made games and they didn't give a fuck how hard they were. They were just like, nah, this is how hard it is. Imagine you being someone that completed this in an arcade. Imagine what you'd feel like. You'd probably be pretty poor, but you'd be like, you feel like like you would have actually achieved something. You'd feel like running out into the street in just your pants, trying to find a lance. (laughs) So. Would you know if you started the game and played it through without dying, got from beginning to end, how long a game is it in that sense? I don't know. Um, I don't really think, yeah, it's hard to tell how long games like that are yeah, because there's, yeah, no, yeah. there's no save file or no timer on them. But I mean, you can spend quite a while on a on a game like that, just learning how to play. I was thinking about games like uh, was it Another World that's meant to be ridiculously short, but because constantly dying as part of the gameplay it's a long game how did you play this one Barry? well I had mentioned ports at the start um, and it was pretty much ported to everything I've got a list here when I say everything it was ported to a lot of stuff um, like the, the most popular one's probably the Mega Drive one that's one that most people might know but it was also ported to the Amiga the Amstrad CPC the Atari ST the CP system the Commodore 64 the Sharp X68000 the Sega Saturn, the PlayStation, the PS2, the Super Graphics, the Master System, the Spectrum, and you can also get it on Virtual Console. So basically Spectrum. everything except the SNES. Basically. Jesus, about the Spectrum version. Because the SNES, because the SNES got yeah. Super Girls and Ghosts, of course. But um, the, the like the PlayStation, PlayStation Two versions, they they're kind of like they appear in the arcade compilations. It's important to note that some of these are totally arcade perfect. So if you want to play an arcade perfect port, go and look for which ones are, because some of them are bad ports, but some of them are like really really good ports. Um, something that's interesting too is like a lot of the home computer, like the the Amiga, the Commodore stuff like that, the music was redone by Tim Fallon, mm-hmm. which is interesting if you're a, a game music fan or a long term one more go listener, you'll know. You've heard me talk about Tim Fallon before, but because that's the one thing that kind of lets down Girls and Ghosts for me is it has the the kind of FM synthesis sound chip, um, so it's kind of it's the classic Girls and Ghosts music, but done in a kind of Mega Drive sound set, which I'm not uh, a big fan of generally. Needs on, to for me, it needs to be like something like Gunstar Heroes and that it needs to be like that. But this is really kind of minimal music, I'd say. It doesn't work so well with that kind of janky FM sound. I know what you mean. I love the Mega Drive sound set, but. Anything that's ported generally. Yeah, this was around. I mean, when this was in arcades, it was kind of built around the same architecture as cabs. Like, I think it was 1943 Kai, Bionic Commando, uh, the original Street Fighter. Okay. So these are the kind of games that were around at the same time. They all had that kind of similar sound set to them. Um, so, which version did you play? I played it on arcade. Oh. I played it on our arcade machine. Yeah, you want to have a wee bit of swagger about that? No, not really. It okay. was it was good. It's even harder to play one arcade stick than it is to play by joypad. We pleased to know. So, <laughs> great news. Yeah, I mean, I've I've like I've completed I've completed go I've completed all of them. I've, well, I say all. I've completed the first three, but not not in recent times. Um, I think Super Super Girls and Ghosts is the hardest game I've ever completed. I'd say 
and, go and regular old Ghouls and Ghosts is not far off it. But if you wanted to get into the series, it's a pretty good jumping on point because it's the easiest of the three. And it's uh, it's the middle ground in terms of how retro it looks as well because a lot of people aren't into the NES aesthetic. Um, mm. So if you want to, if you want to try like a really nails platforming series, then you should give uh, Ghouls and Ghosts a shot because it'll put hairs on your chest like... Spooky hairs? I guess so. <laughs> it's like your chest hair will grow in the shape of a skull. <laughs> but I, I mean, I'd absolutely play it. Like I said, you can pick up for anything, so give it a shot and you can be a wee knight in his pants. We know now that Sony had been working with Nintendo on a possible CD console since as early as 1988. For those of us who only got their video game news through the colourful pages of Future Publishing's Finest, the announcement of a mainstream console from someone other than one of the traditional giants was just baffling. The PlayStation would have made as much sense if it had been Volkswagen or Morphe Richards had apparently decided to get into video games on a whim. It's interesting to note that after Nintendo ditched Sony... Apparently after Nintendo godhead Hirochi Yamaguchi actually read their contract and saw that Sony would hold all the control over and all the money made off of the CD-ROM titles the two companies made and thought that maybe this wasn't the best deal that Nintendo could get. He always was a canny operator, Yamaguchi-san. Sony approached Sega over a potential collaboration, only for the Sega board to almost dismiss the idea out of hand, reportedly saying... That's a stupid idea. Sony doesn't know how to make hardware. They don't know how to make software either. Why would we want to do this? I'd like to talk to you about a menace. Threatening humanity. It's happening right here, in our very homes, and corrupting the lives of our loved ones. Yes, friends, I'm talking about this. It may look like a harmless bagel toaster, but inside is a deadly donut. Remember, do not underestimate the power of PlayStation. Both companies went on to develop their own CD-ROM machines, and while Sega relied on what they knew as one of the pillars of the video game world, essentially producing an evolved Mega Drive designed to make the same games only prettier, Sony behaved like the archetypal newcomer. They had no background, no core audience to please, so instead focused on the new things that the increased capacity of CD-ROMs allowed, high-quality music and 3D graphics. Happily for Sony, it turned out that these two elements were exactly what the wider world was waiting for in order to embrace video games and take the industry to unimagined new heights. Whether by accident or design, Sony, under the guidance of father of the PlayStation Ken Kutaragi, just got every design decision in the making of the PlayStation exactly right. environments are, I think, the key to the whole thing. Despite all the problems that primitive camera positions and fuzzy polygons pose, it's simply much more intuitive for the majority of people to navigate a 3D space than a 2D plane. It feels more real on a visceral level. Even at the time, it was difficult to say that the blocky characters of, say, Battle Arena Chishinden looked better than the hand-drawn glory of Yoshi's Island, but they were certainly more impressive to most people's eyes. And the PlayStation's ability to create these environments was so far ahead of the competition, Sony were able to break out into an unprecedented dominance of the console market. PlayStation 
If you read any article about the cultural impact of the PlayStation, you'd be forgiven for thinking that before the lifestyle magazine writers were entranced by Wipeout and Tomb Raider, video games were a strictly adult-free zone, that you were required to hand in your control pad when you first got served in a pub. Now, this isn't strictly true. I think the fact that the 10-year-olds who had pestered Santa for a NES or a C64 were now leaving uni in 1995 had more than a little to do with how video games grew up. But the PlayStation certainly marked a change in just how many adults were now prepared to spend their time gaming. Oh, Wipeout. Nothing exemplifies the PlayStation's great leap forward as well as Wipeout. The overwhelming narrative of Sony's rise in the mainstream consciousness was of post-club gaming, late-night energy and Sunday morning come-downs spent with the same tunes and flashing lights that got you in that state in the first place. Music and 3D graphics, what a winning combination. And while that is what caught the attention, the game is what kept it. Racing games are, in any case, almost the purest form of video games. They combine a clear objective, a clear way to achieve that objective in lap times and race positions, as a clear way to decide who is best at achieving that objective. With Wipeout's weapons and racing mechanics, it combines both the familiar and the novel in a beautiful, enticing package. With short races and split-screen two-player, it is easy for a room full of people to have a great time swapping controllers and trying to outdo each other while enjoying the spectacle. And that might actually be the PlayStation philosophy in a nutshell, style and substance. Even the design of the machine itself was light years ahead of anything seen before or arguably since. That huge saucer in the middle to emphasise the CD that made all of this power possible, bolstered by two chunky blocks on either side, giving the whole thing an aura of low-slung sturdiness. It's a real shame that all the major companies, even Nintendo, now seek to make their machines look like anonymous pieces of hi-fi equipment. The PlayStation knew what it was, and it gloried in it. For years I've lived a double life. In the day I do my job, I ride the bus, roll up my sleeves with the hoi polloi. But at night, I live a life of exhilaration. Of missed heartbeats and adrenaline. And, if the truth be known... A life of dubious virtue. I won't deny I've been engaged in violence, even indulged in it. I've maimed and killed adversaries. And not merely in self-defence. I've exhibited disregard for life, limb and property. And savoured every moment. You may not think it to look at me. But I have commanded armies. In conquered worlds. And though in achieving these things... I have set morality aside. I have no regrets. For though I've led a double life, at least I can say... I've lived. The most iconic PlayStation branding was saved for the controller, the basic design of which has endured for nearly 20 years and half a dozen iterations now. Now again, I cannot stress enough just how weird and different this thing looked in 1994. The prongs poking out past the point where previous controllers ended just begged you to hold it, and it fit perfectly in your hands when you did, making it at once weird and completely natural to use. The decision to label the buttons with symbols rather than letters seemed oddly obtuse at the time, particularly for games magazines who had had to laboriously type out their cheat columns with press triangle, square, square, circle in full until somebody made a font pack. 
but it gave Sony a striking brand that just poured more cachet over an effortlessly cool system. What is this all about? I can't figure it out at all. Here's a lockpick. It might be handy if you, the master of unlocking, take it with you. It seems weird that I've got this far without really talking about the games on the PlayStation, but if you have to ask about PlayStation games, the only appropriate answer is all of them. All of the games. It was home to such mighty franchises as Metal Gear Solid, Resident Evil, Tomb Raider, Wipeout, Tekken and the 3D Final Fantasies, but due to its unprecedented popularity, over 8,000 titles were released over its lifespan, which allowed the beginnings of a viable indie gaming to begin to take root. Also, the ease of playing games that maybe Sony didn't strictly want you to play helped spawn both the rise of piracy and import gaming. Yay! In its later years, this was achieved through a very simple chipping process, but on the early consoles, it was possible to evade the copy protection by jamming a pen lid into the CD tray's hinge to make the console think it was closed. You then scan the first part of a legitimate PAL disc, quickly swap out the CD for the game that you wanted to play. The technique required skill and timing and is much a part of the PlayStation nostalgia as being blown away by the rad graphics on the CD visualizer. I won't belabor the importance of the legacy of the PlayStation 4 yet. The mere fact that the PlayStation 4 is the current clear leader of this gen's console war, using almost exactly the same branding and identity as the original machine, should be enough to make that importance obvious. What is it like to return to the PlayStation now? As with all games from the first 3D generation, the aesthetic has generally aged poorly. No Yacht Club-esque developer is out there launching their Kickstarter to make a loving tribute to Tomb Raider's sharp shapes and blurry textures but it certainly remains the first console that shows the direct roots of the games that we play now. Nothing revolutionised our hobby in the way that the PlayStation did, and it's difficult to imagine that anything will ever do so again. And we're gonna we're gonna pass it over to our special guest, Mr. Richie Morgan, for this next one. He's got a he's got a, a, a terror fest for you here. What <laughs> is he a special guest? I kind of think of him more as a captive pet. Well, I'm feeling quite special. About like a badger that gets trapped in your back garden. <laughs> so um, I thought long and hard about what spooky game I could choose, um, and I opted for one of my old favourites. Um, Soul Reaver on Legacy of Kane Soul Reaver on the PS1 <laughs> This is possibly the most goth game that's ever been discussed in uh, one more goal See possibly po- the most, most goth game of all time I don't remember it being like total goth angsty in that. Have folk you to- seen just the cover of it? Aye but folk, folk talk about it like it's pure Papa Roach levels of angst but I don't remember it being that angsty like. Well it's about it's about um it's essentially about a vampire with incredible daddy issues. <laughs> so sounds none good. more go. <laughs> he's, he's got whited out eyes. He's covered his mouth and he's got curtains. He's covered his mouth because he has no bottom jaw, mate. <laughs> he totally has curtains as well. Yeah. He does have curtains. They're pretty rough. 
So we've got, we've got the. You say you say vampire, cover. and he's not a fucking. He's not an Arpats looking motherfucker. He's, he's, not, he's like basically a kind of blue skeleton. He's not a traditional vampire. Um, something that I spent a lot. Of time, I spent a lot of time looking at Legacy of Kane lore today, which I won't go. Legacy of Kane Deviant Art. <laughs> Raziel. But, I can't um, imagine the fan fiction that brewed out of this. It makes my head hurt. Well, I think you're being a bit unfair on Sorry, bro. Like, the, the, <laughs> he fuck, he's fucking you, you two, both of you Sonic fan one and two are here, like, <laughs> getting torn into the. There's the no fan. way I'm number two to him. I'm like number 74 compared to him. Three, Joe. Joe. <laughs> uh, right, sorry. Well, the, the funny thing about Legacy of Kane. Can we I, get a guest on that's not a Sonic fan at some point, please? I don't actually think that's possible. Oh, fair days. Um Okay, so Legacy of Kane Soul Reaver. It was released in uh, some point, and I couldn't find an exact release date for the European version, but it was released late 1999. Um, it was developed by Crystal Dynamics and published by Eidos, who bought over Crystal Dynamics while the game was in development. Mm. Um, and it's a sequel to uh, Blood Omen Legacy of Kane. And the interesting thing about this um, is that it being a sequel... The protagonist from the first game is now the antagonist, and you're playing an entirely new character. Kane is the Kane is Kane. Kane was the protagonist in the first game, and he's now the antagonist in Soul Reaver. It's a kind of platforming adventure, kind of action adventure game. A bit this the game I'd say it was most like is uh, Ocarina of Time. It came out about a year after Ocarina of Time, and I would say there's definite um, definite influences there, but there's probably more influences from. Tomb Ra- games like Tomb Raider and things like that. It's very Tomb Raider. Mm-hmm. It's very, very Tomb Raider. So how does it play? It's a kind of 3D. Yeah, so um, one of the main... So you play... The character you play is called Raziel. And uh, the game is set 1500... No, the beginning of the game is set 1500 years after Blood Omen. And Kane is now a sort of big baddie vampire who's kind of uh, the first line of dialogue in the game is Kane is deified. He's kind of turned himself into a big king vampire. And uh, he's created several lieutenants, one of them being Raziel. So he's got these, this group of vampires who um, have their own vampire spawn. And uh, Raziel, one day, grows Ra- a set Raz, of wings. Raz, for Raz sure. grows a set of wings and kind I of. I call him Eel. Raziel grows a set of wings and surpasses Kane, which is kind of seen as the ultimate act of blasphemy. So Kane tears. How does he grow a set of wings? This is really goth. (laughs) Well, the the story is is that the vampires kind of they enter a state of change every so often, and then they come up with a new ability. Crawling. This is all. This is all set in the opening cuts. uh, The opening cutscene. Okay. So he grows. He grows a set of wings, and uh, Kane tears them off. And Kane and his his other lieutenants, being Raziel's brothers, cast him into a um, a sort of sea, a whirlpool of death. There's not really much of an explanation to it, where he kind of burns for about five hundred years, and he comes out the other side totally looking burned a bit up, looking ke- a bit kebabby. Aye, he's kind of just a big blue skeleton, and his jaws gone, and he's got kind of wings that look like a cloak. And uh, so he comes out the other side, and he's kind of pissed off, and this big sort of squiddy, kind of pissed off, this kind of squiddy god thing uh, tells him to go and 
fine cane and gives him a fucking kick-ass scarf. Basically, like so it's basically it's a story about revenge, and the way that the game's structured is that different areas on the map are like uh, are where each of your brothers live. Okay, okay. and you've got to kill every one of your brothers, brothers before facing off. Is it open end. world or is it linear? It's open world. And uh, it's it's that situation where every time you kill one of your brothers, you gain a new ability, and that new ability lets you enter a new part of the map. So our colors of system are kind of shifting between. Yes, yes, that's another big part it's of bit it. Like, bit like that, Dark Souls. <laughs> yeah. So the, in the game, you can move between uh, what they call the spectral realm and the physical realm. The spectral realm just being you're a ghost. You leave your body. Um, every time you you die, it has a system where you don't sort of move back to a save point. What happens is 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 when you die, the the world shifts, and you become a ghost, and then you have to find a portal to get your way back to the physical realm. But also, what it does is with these two realms is that um, the the two realms, like the spectral realm, exists as a warped version of the physical realm. So what you what that does is it opens up a lot of sort of platforming opportunities yeah. where if you're in a Puzzle, room puzzly and stuff. you can't figure out how to get from one end of the room to the other it's probably because you need to enter the spectral realm and all the platforms will shift and you move from point A to point B uh-huh. another thing that Soul Reaver did that was kind of new at the time was um, was that it got rid of loading screens and uh-huh. replaced them with really long corridors and um, yeah, <laughs> great. Or whether it was a lot of fun walking down those corridors. Well, I mean, it wasn't too bad because it was just it was one of those things is that you know you just didn't notice. It was always like a big you know it was a corridor that wound up to another. Area. Were there enemies in that corridor or no pictures? No. Any, any textures? Just... There was textures. <laughs> but like you're not thinking. It's not. I mean, I wouldn't say you're like you're running not up thinking. And, um, you're not thinking about the fact that it's loading. You're running up a corridor. You're not running along a corridor for like five minutes waiting for a... It's, it's usually pretty yeah, yeah. quick. Um, How is the, the actual gameplay though? How is the... Well, the gameplay... Um, How's that platforming? You like at that? the time when it came out, I do... Well, the reason I went back to it is because I had a lot of love for this game. And um, at the time it was great. But looking back, there's a lot of sort of... PS1 bullshit going on, mm. which um, is a bit problematic. Does it? Did it use the analog? It used the the. Uh, you could use the D-pad or the analog, but the way that it worked is that um, obviously, again, being PS1, you were using the left stick to walk. Analog compatible. You're using the left stick to walk, but you're using the L2 and R2 to move the camera. Right. I do remember this game, particularly Soul Reaver, being regarded quite well as a 3D game. I mean, even though we're like sort of a good three to four years after Tomb Raider and Mario 64, there still weren't that many games which did 3D platforming that well. Croc. Especially on the PlayStation. He said, completely ignoring Croc Croc as we will for the rest of our lives. Well, the thing is, is I, I played... I look fucking Gex is on the box, man. You can't yeah, argue. He's with right there. Crystal Dynamics, the masters, they were the masters, the masters of, the of control. Yeah. Well, but actually, um, I think that I, I was reading actually during development, a lot of the design decisions were being made while the engine was being developed. So they didn't have the engine, but it, they were kind of using okay. the engine that Gex three used. Yes, of course, does Gex have a cameo? No, there's no Gex cameo. Is, is there any Raziel Gex crossover fan art? 
Possibly, I haven't looked. Possibly. <laughs> it fucking is. How like. do we not know that Gex isn't hiding underneath that scarf, telling him what to do, <laughs> controlling his thoughts? How do we know that Gex isn't the power behind the throne? Well, because he pulls down the scarf. That's one thing I remember about Soul Reavers, when you're sucking up the souls. Oh, yeah, he well, pulls that, down the scarf. And anytime you... That, that's, that kind of brings me to the combat and the energy as well. It's like your energy bar is replenished by sucking on souls. Yes. And... Uh, um, and when you enter the spectral realm, you can't leave the spectral realm until your energy bar is full, which usually means fighting some manky ghosts um, and scavengers and then soaking them up. Uh, but when you're playing in the, the physical realm, uh, the game, all the different areas of the game have different breeds of vampires. And the, the reason you have different breeds of vampires is because they've come from vampires with different abilities. Mm. So each vampire is kind of suited to their own environment. Um, so most of the enemies in the game are all vampires. Did uh, Richard Dawkins design this game? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, right. Definitely That's a not. no, Barry. Mark that down. <laughs> cool, man. Um, My memories of Soul Reaver are sort of a mix of being really bleaked out by the spectral realm and also how hard it was to do the gliding kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I don't think I had too much bother with the gliding. So his wings that were torn off of him, he's still got a sort of wee. He's got a set of wings, but you can't fly with them. But you can glide, so you're you know you like can a penguin. Go. No wait, penguins can't glide. <laughs> like Not a, like a penguin, like an echidna, like a. <laughs> <laughs> ah, no more fucking Sonic fans, Jesus Christ! <laughs> How does it actually? play how is like making him fight or glide or run or jump well or the, suck the combat's really good I, I find the combat to be you know it's quite uh, why, why, it's a lot of fun why don't you tell the listeners why you found this game particularly hard to control this time okay um well i was playing a couple of different versions basically uh I have a physical copy of it but i decided to buy a psn copy of it as well so that i could play it on the vita because I like to play games on the move sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Spend a lot of time on trains. Um, but I discovered that the Vita version, um, early on in the game it's fine, but when the platform gets more challenging, it's infuriating. Like Because there is no L2, because there's no L2 and R2, R2 button. Unless you want to use the rear touchpad. Which isn't very responsive um, right. for L2 and R2. It's just oh, so what did you do? So I assigned L2 and R2 to the bottom corners of the touchscreen. Um, uh, but it's not even like it's not even just the so you positioning. Have to take your thumb off the control stick to change the camera. Like I said, it hadn't. It wasn't an issue for most of the game until about the last third, right? And then the platforming got a wee bit more precise. So there was a whole section of the game that took me hours that probably should have taken me about twenty minutes. Like we're talking starting one night and finishing the following night because. It, it, just because I was having to do the same bit over and over again and the worst example is that there was a boss towards the end of the game um, that was in water so when you enter the chamber you're underwater which means you're in the spectral realm because you're you burn when you hit water and there was a series of pillars and I had to climb the pillars and the pillars were all spaced out and I had to climb the pillars in a circle and get to the top pillar, shift into the physical realm, and then I had to use 
a sort of telekinetic ability to smash a bunch of windows around the room which required me to use the aim which was holding L2 and R2 so I'm standing on a pillar both fingers on the touch screen one holding triangle and one holding the the, the um, analog stick while a boss was attacking me and every time he attacked me I would fall off the pillar into the water and then have to climb back up all the so the boss took me about an hour again it was uh, PS1 PS1 play Soul Reaver on the VR so, yeah, the, is the yeah, moral of the story the moral is uh, apart I've from just rarely met a man who finds life more trying than <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, don't play don't play Soul Reaver on the Vita. Apart from anything else, the um, unless you the just emulation. want to understand why Rich is the way he is, <laughs> the emulation itself was really gammy. Oh. Like there was a lot of slowdown on the audio, and the the voice tracks would uh, pause every so often. I don't know if they were playing too fast and stopping to catch up with the shots or something. That's weird. If you're going to play it, you're probably going to play it. In the, you're probably best trying to play it on the PS One. So you reckon that's the way? To try and get a copy of it. Yeah. Would, would you recommend people play it? Well, there's a Dreamcast port, right? There's a Dreamcast yeah. port, is which I've, I've never played. Um, I can tell you that in terms of looks, there's a bit more character detail on the character models, but the actual environments themselves, there's just a better draw distance. Um, but I, I guess so. It might be the exactly the same. Um, I mean, they haven't... The actual game, though, is the game fun, despite all the... A lot of the game is re- is fun. Um, it's probably about fifty fifty. It's like I was making a lot of concessions because I, I really wanted to get to the end of the game, and it's mm. it's a game world that I really enjoy. Um, it's but, a it's a real interesting system as well. I think like yeah. I remember moving between the realms is a nice. It was a very ambitious game. It was, mm. um, but again, it had the other problem that I had another element of bullshit from that era was that there was a lot of block puzzles. Mm-hmm. Like moving blocks around, moving them into particular slots. Thanks, Zelda. Flipping blocks up and piling thanks, them on top. Thanks, of each Tomb Raider. Other. I think really, really popularized that one, especially with Tomb Raider being that the blocks would only move the space of blocks in the game worlds. No. Like, no. Yeah. No. There was a horrible, no. horrible section of the game fairly early on where I had to arrange a, a set of blocks into a particular arrangement. To unlock a door, and that door... Big Greg's logo. That door... Is this where the idea of Minecraft came from? No. No. (laughs) Minecraft with emo vampires. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. Did Richard Dawkins create Minecraft? No. 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 Richard Dawkins. You you arrange all the blocks in a pattern, it opens a door. Once you open that door, it takes you to a new area. That new area has four more rooms. Yeah each with a block puzzle yeah. and you've got to do every one of those block puzzles and every every room uncovers a switch and once you've un- once you've unlocked every switch you can then progress to the next area so it's just four and the pro- the worst thing is is all four rooms are pretty much exactly the same sounds just a recursive nightmare of block puzzles yeah it's- just be glad they never filled all the loading corridors with block puzzles <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, so it what was it like playing back then? You obviously have some fond memories of it. I mean, like, ah, did you have it? Did you have it at the time? I couldn't afford to buy it, so I rented it from Blockbuster. And Blockbuster at the time had a five-day rental policy, and I was like, I'm buggered if I'm going to be paying for ten days. So I absolutely hammered it. 
when it came out and to the point where I developed a mysterious illness on a school day and uh, I completed it in the five days Richie you bad boy and I, I oh he's got a wanking sickness again <laughs> <laughs> so like I absolutely hammered through it to the point where the game it was one of those games that totally kind of took over my life for a bit where you were having dreams about aye, it it's one of those of games days. where you still hear the soundtrack after you've turned it off like, aye, still, aye. Like, got that kind of atmosphere so and I like I had no problem getting sucked into it like I was really really into it and, and the block puzzles and, and the gammy platforming I didn't really know any better at the time mm-hmm. because that's just what those things were at that time if you're doing block puzzles without Tomb Raider tank tracks you're just sitting there thinking what, what a world <laughs> <laughs> yeah at least the blocks were sort of relatively quick quick to move around but um, yeah going back all those elements it's difficult but at the same time um, I played right through it and I completed it last night and um, that wasn't just out of dedication to coming on this podcast it was because I was getting sucked in you were again. right back there and I think that's in big, big part down to again the fact that it had quite a rich storyline which even at the time was kind of quite rare and it was a very, it was definitely a very new thing for me. I mean, I didn't play a lot of Japanese games around like that at the time, so I wasn't I didn't hadn't played a lot of like big RPGs or anything like that. So for me, at this time when this game came out, big story, sort of voice acting, it goes well with the kind of gothic atmosphere, and it's got this incredible soundtrack as well. Uh, that it's very industrial, very atmospheric, and it uses um, it uses sound effects from the game mixed into the into the music and um, it's really creepy mm. especially like if you play it with headphones on it's one of those soundtracks where every so often you'll hear a noise and look round because you think you know just the way that it's nicely integrated into it and it kind of did it, you scream on the train Richie? no I just screamed <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's very kind of nightmarish and in a really enjoyable way and I think in, in some ways it kind of invokes John Carpenter a lot of the ways and but um, yeah, Soul Reaver is pretty good. Give it a go, maybe. If you're willing to make some concessions for bullshit, you, you got to be with 3D PS1 games yeah. generally. But I mean, it's the kind of thing where I'm sure like people say it about Metal Gear Solid all the time. Aye. Controls are bad. It's like no, they aren't. But I'm so I'm sure. I'm not sure Soul Reaver is a game of the the level of Metal Gear Solid right enough. But yeah, I think if you persevere with it a bit, it's probably quite rewarding. Yeah, no, there's, it's a good game, it's a good game world, and the way, the story sort of continues to be great through Soul Reaver 2 and then Defiance. I wouldn't bother with Blood Omen 2. Um, I've never played Blood Omen, but you might want to head onto the wiki and read some of the mm. plot points of that, although it's kind of, a lot of it's covered in Soul Reaver 2 as well. It's just a shame that the the game kind of stopped at Defiance, the series just stopped at Defiance, and there's not been a game for about 10 years, and now they've got the free-to-play Nosgoth mm. coming out, but that just looks like a sort of PvP sort of job rather than anything particularly interesting. So like we always say, just get into the old game. Yes. Um, yeah, give Soul Reaver a go, don't play it in the Vita. Oh, so we reached out to you, listeners, we reached out to you to find out what video game oh, character... Did we reach out of the grave? 
yeah. <laughs> grab their ankles. And yeah, there are soil underneath our fingernails and a chill running down your spine as we tickled your Achilles tendon. <laughs> or cake under the fingernails and Richie's skin. <laughs> Get me a Greg's. <laughs> oh, is that cake? <laughs> So what do we what do we ask the, the lovely people? We ask them which video game character would be the best to dress up and go trick or treating as. Nice. You answered in your draws what first. You, have you got Have you got one? Ah, we'll come to mine. We'll come to mine. Don't worry. We'll we'll take the, the lovely listeners yeah, first. We'll oh, let right, them okay. have first shot. Yeah, Calzo Calzo Houdini first. Calzo says a uh, leisure suit, Larry. Which oh, <laughs> like you want to be leisure suit, Larry, and a bunch of kids <laughs> like. It would certainly terrify me. Right, right. <laughs> Um, Ross eighty seventh says Mara 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 So that'll be Mara from Ross. Which led me to Google Mara and then wish I hadn't. I I can't work out if he means actual Mara or not because when I think of Mara I think of like the penis in the chariot from Shimigami Tensei. That's the one I found, and that certainly scared me. I so. was going to Google it there, but that's that's me done. We, Mara came up on Game Link before, like. Oh, did it? Ah, it's a big fucking cock. Oh, is that is that the one that guy would have? Uh, uh, it looks like a cross between a dick and Jinx from Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> Next, um, Auntie Bloom says, "Kate Sith." Because you get to wear white trousers and hang about with your cat. <laughs> that sounds logic, really. Which says Halloween in huge glowing letters to everyone, I guess. Uh, the Sonic Mole says, says Halloween like a spooky cat. Keith is not really spooky. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry, the Sonic Mole uh, says Cotton from, of course, the Cotton series. Her whole shtick is collecting sweets. Well done for having the. I would say the most obscure game Deep on the Schmup list. Cuts. <laughs> Deep shmup cuts. This is why we love him. Uh, Jim Purvis, Let's Hug Bro, says, uh, Mario, as almost any other video game character, will simply confuse and alienate potential treat givers. My answer is somewhat covered by the fact that I had to go door-to-doors with a mate who dressed as Squall in 2000-ish, and pretty much every house we went to thought he was meant to be Steve McQueen or a bomber pilot. <laughs> uh, do you want some sweets, son? Whatever. Yeah, I was going to say, from what I hear about Squally, he'd just be too busy crying to do any tricks or treats. Curled up in a ball on the floor as chocolate is poured on top of him. <laughs> Mickey Gamezilla. Um. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Jill Valentine, so you could pick the lock of anyone who refused to answer the door. Do that, Mickey Gamezilla. It's good, it's resourceful. It is, it's a good one. It's a good one. Um, Minute five zero seven two. He, he doesn't know that dressing as someone for Halloween doesn't imbue you with their. You cut me off one more time. <laughs> Sorry, you were saying. Like if I dress as Superman, I can't fly. Uh, no, picking a lock and flying are a bit fucking different, man. But you can fly if you dress as Superman, but only on Halloween. Right. Okay. As Buffy the Vampire Slayer taught you nothing. <laughs> okay. Okay. He learned all his vampire lore from Soul Reaver. <laughs> Um, well, I can't. What was I saying? I minute five zero seven two says Kirby. Good one. Knock on door. Inhale contents of house. Repeat, oh, maybe dress up as Richie in that case. If that's your, <laughs> that's your angle. All the snacks and valuables and people again. So good. Same problem. <laughs> Uh, Richie, I think you do have that power. <laughs> I've, I've, seen a dude in a cur- I've seen a dude in a Kirby costume, and it's not an ideal situation to be in. You kind no. of curl up really small and yeah. waddle about. 
yeah, uh, there's a lot of potential for that to be horrible. She's just Kirby with an exceptionally long pair of legs. <laughs> like Sonic Boom Kirby. <laughs> I don't know, I think I'd wear like a costume that's just like a landscape and just dress my head up as Kirby, because that's the only sort of round bit, and then you get the mouth possibly the right size. You could dress like a pipe from Mario. <laughs> you could pour, pour candy in the top and then you have a wee sound effect blub, 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 I have like it. a piranha plant on my hands just come out and spit that's fire at them that's not a bad idea right that's my that's my that's what I'm going as <laughs> Mario pipe Blair Ben says it's Sephiroth isn't it isn't the answer to all these kinds of questions Sephiroth maybe if it was just me on the podcast but <laughs> Graham White says Wario, and he's attached a lovely picture of him dressed as, as Wario. And that's that's looks like Greenwood dressed as Luigi there. It's completely incredible. His Wario expression is phenomenal. There's a, there's a serious PS2 collection going up in the top corner as well. So <laughs> please come in, please come He's got Mario and Luigi behind him, and they both look like they rightfully know they've... I mean, they've done a good job, but they've not done a Wario-level job. My favourite thing about Graham's Wario costume is that you can see his total da watch underneath one of his gloves. <laughs> it's like a big, massive, silver da watch. It's like, does Wario wear a watch? But if you want to look at... Wario definitely it. wears a watch. That's how he knows it's Wario time. Um, if you want to have a look at the most beautiful thing you'll ever see in your life, check out at GW0001 and, uh, yeah. Well, peruse everything he does because he's a beautiful man. Yep. McBeat next. McBeat, right? I'm. I'm not going to lie. He just tweeted us a lot of pictures. And I it's don't know that, what any it's of that big woman's heed for Silent Hill. Uh, yeah, oh, it's got missing. Missing no. no. Missing no would be a good one. I have actually seen a missing no costume in the flesh. Uh, not in the flesh, but I've seen pictures at a, like a, a convention. Somebody just made like a big sort of Minecraft block and painted it with all the uh, mm. all the glitches. It was really good. The toilet duck says blob from boy in his blob because you could switch up costumes with every house and also get sweet hugs. So. Can you get a hug on Halloween? Can you blow up to a house and there the are form, trick the or things, treat or hug? The things that Blob turns into is like a car jack, a trampoline, <laughs> a ladder. <laughs> it's like... Imagine, <laughs> imagine your doorbell rang you open there's a ladder. I would just be, for fucking throw sweets at it and close the door. I would be terrified. Oh, ladder's back again. <laughs> Call a priest. I would be terrified if a 10-year-old like turned up at the door and said, like, oh, can, you do, can you do a wee turn for us for your sweeties and just turned into a ladder? That would actually scare me. But um, Sonic Yoda car. interjects on that tweet and says, you run the risk of being given only jelly beans, which, let's face it, are a bit shit. Uh, I can see Barry's, Barry's that, jerry bean defence. Jerry beans are a bit good. Yeah. Jelly beans on my mind. TV Misadventure says, uh, Shy Guy only requires a hoodie, any colour, mm. and now that uh, Mario Kart 8 is established, mm. any colour is canon. Uh, paper plate and black permanent marker. It's not a bad idea. That just looks... I mean, I'm trying to picture it and all I can see is like the disguise of a killer. <laughs> yes, well, if you pick the black hoodie, then you are just going as the guy from screen until you start like spitting seeds at everyone. <laughs> uh, Space Titanium says... Donkey Kong because nothing says give me sweets like turning up at a stranger's door wearing nothing but a tie and a smile. I was wondering thinking about like the doorbell goes and you open your door and it's that big tropical freeze diorama <laughs> DK bursts out of it. <laughs> Again though you'd only get bananas. Shame. Monkey nuts. Or possibly doubloons. Incredible Donkey Kong costume that I got my photo taken with at Eurogamer Expo. It just looked terribly sad. <laughs> so good. Yeah, it didn't look like that in any other photograph though, Richie. <laughs> or it was just with me. Uh, Weedy Joe suggests Watchdogs Aiden Pierce to find a use for all the iconic replica gear you got with your £80 pre-order. 
It's like Finally. showing up to a door. Who are you supposed to be <laughs> pointing at the cap? Who are you supposed to be fucking iconic Aiden Pierce? <laughs> Could you go completely naked and just go as the iconic cap? But you wouldn't. <laughs> but you wouldn't. Um, you wouldn't like be able to ask trick or treat. You'd just sort of skulk in the shadows on your phone. Trying to get all the excitement you can out of the entire situation. Uh, finally, Manly J Panda uh, chimes in with Bayonetta because my hair is getting a bit long and it'll save me getting it cut, which is practical and well, also kind of scary because I'm, I'm assuming you don't look quite as nice as Bayonetta just wearing not, your hair over your tits. It's also, your tits. It's also not up to date because Bayonetta's had her hair cut. Totally. She's still... It's all flapping off the suit. Uh, I'd, go as, I'd go as Bayonetta. I could work that. Flapping off... I don't know something I ever want to see. So that's about it for your Halloween feedback. Thank you very much for, for getting in touch. Yeah, what would you dress as Halloween? Are you going pipe? Pipe. Has, pipe with, um, I've stolen my idea of the pipe and your idea of the piranha plant. And that's okay. So you can maybe have. Tell you what, I'll go in the pipe and you can sit on my shoulders and be the piranha plant. We can paint your face. Uh, that sounds pretty good. I would probably make a big paper mache Dr. Robotnik so I could fill it with sweets. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> That's a good one. I was going to say Zool just because of the Chupa Chips connection. But, I'd uh, go with Lady Zool then. <laughs> uh, but my final answer would be uh, the Prince from Katamari Damashi. Just like have a great big ball of sweets to roll down the town and then you destroy You couldn't go into any houses though, you need to. Yeah, well, I'd have to destroy the houses, but I think that's yeah, a small that's price to play for sweeties. <laughs> Makes sense. So you'd be Dr. Robotnik, eh? It's big hollow one full of sweets. What would you do if you saw we cream the rabbit? Would you be like, get in my spaceship? I wouldn't do it. If I saw we cream the egg, then I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's your old Nickel, Nickel, you've you've stolen a game that I've wanted to do for one more go since the very, very beginning of the podcast. But because it's Halloween, it's the season of goodwill to all men. I just have decided to let you do it. So what what game? Tell us. What I had game to steal one of the games that you like because like oh, little secret listeners like spooky things and like gothic stuff. It's really not my aesthetic. I hardly play any games like this at all. <sighs> So this is a game that I played for the first time. It was Castlevania Symphony of the Night for the PlayStation released in 1997. And this was the very, very first Castlevania I've ever played. Sorry, what's wrong, Richie? Just the way you said Castle. I thought you said Castlevania. <laughs> you did say Castlevania. Like. <laughs> do you want me to do that whole thing again then? Nope. nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so this is the first time I've ever played a Castlevania game because, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, this is the sixth mainline Castlevania game, and apparently this was the first to truly embrace the Metroidvania thing, which is something I didn't know that it, like you didn't. It, it was all linear before that, this. Apart well, from when this you consider one. it's called the the no, when you consider it's called the Metroidvania system, that's quite an quite a hefty statement to suggest that it was the first one to adopt it. Well, apparently it was only Simon's Quest that had like sort of to and froy elements before this. I uh, think the Metroid the term Metroidvania came from the reviews of. 
Which one is this one? Symphony of the Night. Is that the Vampire Killer is non-linear as well. Vampire Killer's pre-Castlevania. Oh, okay. No, but I'm just talking about the... We've had this We've conversation, had this conversation before, but before, but the, the the term Metroidvania, I think it came up in a review for one of the, whatever game it was that had the map that looked like Super Metroid. Vamp- I think that's this one because it's pretty Super Metroidy looking. The the format has been like the first two games that seem to really have the format though are Vampire Killer and Metroid, yeah. which came in the same year as each other. So, but I guess you could say I don't know. I'm not even. I don't know. I don't know what you want to say in regards to that. It was really a refinement of that format within the Castlevania series, is what I would say. Um, yeah. Um, so um, that's interesting from the from the first point of view. It's the first time that they well, I guess they've really embraced what Super Metroid's uh, perfected, I suppose. Um, it's an interesting structure uh, to begin with, in that like the the sort of intro to the game is what I understand is a sort of uh, sawn off version of the final boss fight from the previous game Rondo of Blood, yeah, Rondo of Blood. to sort of set the scene as um, the Richter Belmont, one of the, the legendary Belmonts who are normally the protagonists of the Castlevania um, series destroys Dracula and uh, I don't know, retires or something like that and then several hundred years later uh, Dracula's son Alucard turns up who is a vampire, a half vampire, half human, all angst, bishy guy? Which is funny because I'm fairly sure the only time Alucard shows up previous to this is in Castlevania Three, and he has the appearance of like a regular kind of hammer horror Dracula. But then he shows up in Symphony of the Night, and they were like, "Hold on a minute, this is this is PS One era. We need to give him platinum hair." And well, they they certainly did it, and what they also did. Well, because he's not a Belmont, it means he's not allowed to use a whip, which initially was really disappointing for me because, like, well, I asked Barry, like, right, I want to play a Castlevania, which is the best one, and he said that this was the best one. It's considered uh, to be the best. Considered to be the best one. Uh, and then I get into it, and I don't have a whip, I've got a sword. Uh, but it made up for it, but he's got a very special moonwalk move. Whenever you press triangle, he'll sort of dash back. Yes. It doesn't go, <laughs> though, which is a shame. It's the, a real backstep. I, I backstep my way through that entire game. Like it is, a, it's the only way to travel. Um, so, but in keeping with the uh, uh, classic Castlevania uh, um, system, not like he does have his main weapon, which is in this case is a sword rather than a whip. But he does have lots of uh, sub weapons. Um, yeah, Ken has the system's very RPG like in terms of you have an equip screen and stuff like that. Right? You have an equip screen, you don't upgrade the weapons, but you, you don't level up the weapons. There are sort of as you progress through the game, like stronger and stronger versions of the weapons, and you can choose to use whichever ones of them that that you like, whichever fit your style. As you mm. get towards later in the game you can like the, the sort of strongest swords that you can choose from, like one is very powerful, but it's a two hander, so it's quite slow. And you've got the other option of like having a slightly weaker but faster sword, but you can also then equip a shield on your other arm to uh, increase your defence. Uh, but the sub-weapons, which uh, use magic points, which is how they're sort of rationed, uh, various ones, if you get a wee Bible that'll whiz around you in the way that I understand Bibles do. I don't know, I've not been to church very often, but mm. that's, a, that's a thing Bibles do, right? Basically, I think so. Yeah, sure. That's why the advice to keep the drawers closed in hotels. <laughs> just, just in case. Just in case. Yeah. Um, you can get a knife that you can throw. You can like sow this earth with salt, which best does one's something. The, the big flying sword. That's a familiar rather than a sub weapon. Oh, so it is. So 
Yeah, you've preempted, but we'll get to familiars. We will, we will. Um, but yeah, uh, my favourite is the axe, which you sort of throw up. Uh, yeah, the, again, and, and the axe is a Castlevania staple, and it's definitely my favourite. But also quite like so the one that's sort of like is. It's almost like a taser, like you do a shot out in front of you and if it hits an enemy they'll get struck by lightning. Oh, that yeah. does lots of nice damage. Think about yourself, like sub weapons can be great for one thing, but then you get to an area that's just mostly Medusa heads. Yeah. And then you realise your your sub weapon is fucking useless. That's a that's a bone of contention with me. Like your your sort of kill zone and most of your swords is quite narrow, like you'll sort of swipe out directly in front of him. So things that are slightly below you or slightly above you won't get hit. And these Medusa heads are just like flying enemies that are quite small in terms of pixel size. And they'll just they'll fly up and down towards there, you. There so was a time in the Castlevania series when you couldn't attack on stairs. Just think, just think what that must oh, have wow. been like. <laughs> okay, right, yeah, yeah, this wins. Well done. Um, so, um, yeah, you get familiars, which yes, uh, Barry yes. mentioned. Which this, They happen quite late in the game, though. Mm. So... Um, I don't know, it might have been nicer if they were sort of more evenly spread out, but um, they're like just sort of little helpers that buzz around you and do various things. You'll get a fairy, which will sort of automatically use healing items for you when you need them, which is very, very useful, because it's a weird thing about this game that you don't get health pickups while you're actually in action. You can only regenerate health by saving. Or if Can you we just talk about how the save point is the best thing in the world? Uh, yeah, we certainly can. Big fucking 3D coffin. Yeah, yeah, a big sort of like jeweled uh, globe thing, but when you press up and it, it envelops you in a coffin. Because it's like a kind of 2D styled game, but there are like occasional bits of like real nice kind of 3D, and that's a nice bit you get your big yeah, low, low poly coffin. It's pretty fucking nice. Is that in uh, the books that fly out of the shelves at, you know, oh, in the yeah, library? Yeah. And uh, there's a also in the library there's a secret passageway where you push aside a bookcase, and that's in uh, 3D, oh, yeah, so yeah. that looks quite nice. Um, so yeah, like. Uh, so if you want to heal outside of a save point, you have to equip a potion and then use it. You can't just use it from the menu screen, which can be a bit laborious, especially if you're fighting a boss. But if you've got the fairy and you need a little pick-me-up, she'll mm. automatically use a potion for you. Those fairies in Japanese games, they're awfully useful. Awfully nice. They're awfully nice. Yeah. Um, and there's other things like a demon and ghost that will attack enemies for you. Oh, spooky. Yeah, yeah, spooky. In the Japanese one, it's uh, it's got a Tengu mask on as well. The demon, it's got the uh, yes, the long mate. nose, classic Tengu, and uh, a, a sword as well, which will fly around uh, and slash at I things was a big for fan you. Of the sword. I've heard that about you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you also get um, relics, which is like the really sort of RPG moment of it. Like um, they're they're like just sort of like little slots that you can turn off that like adds abilities for you. Most useful of these are things like a, a double jump, which, mm. you know, classic Metroid thing, like you'll be like sort of 50% of the way through the game and then get the double jump, which opens up uh, various parts of the the land. Um, but the, the main three in terms of like vampire heritage for Alucard is you can turn into a wolf, the form of mist, and a bat. Uh, now, the form of mist is for like opens up areas because things will be like. Uh, cordoned off with like a grate so you can pass through that uh, the bat obviously allows you to access sort of like high hidden passages and big open areas and the wolf is yeah the wolf's a bit smaller than Alucard's it's got a good bark on him it's a wolf it's, it's people like it's a, wolf. It's, a, it's a purple wolf so mm. kudos it's one for the furries you've got to get it in there <laughs> 
Uh, and there's also uh, magic that spells that you can learn, and uh, they're quite enjoyably like accessed by putting in a sort of like Street Fighter special move combo yeah. to uh, get various effects. So that's uh, that's all very nice. There's tons of ways that you can kill things. Um, it is a bit of a spoopy game, as uh, Barry was saying. So like, there's some lots of skeletons, lots of skeletons, lots of bats. Like, like the the enemy design is sort of in keeping with the theme of mm. uh, of uh, spookiness. Um, in particular, there's uh, marionettes, which is these sort of like lifeless uh, human-sized women who just sort of like when you get near them, sort of creep up and uh, shamble their way towards you with a terrifying cry <laughs> as they die. And also uh, blood zombies, which are like in the most like most enemies when you kill them will explode or go in a ball of light. The blood zombies and one of the most unnecessary effects in all of games outside of a Splatterhouse game just explode in a massive fountain of blood. One thing that you, that you wouldn't have noticed because you've not played Vandal Hearts, if you remember all the way back to One More Go Episode 1, Vandal Hearts shares some assets with Symphony of the Night. All right. And I think that grotesque blood splatter from killing an enemy might be one of the things that it shares. Very nice. There's a couple There's a couple in there. There's one in particular It's like a big kind of... It's like a... It's like a sort of pentagram type thing that you see in the background of Dracula's Castle a lot, but that makes an appearance in Vandal Hearts. I mean, in terms of the general design and, and look, it's it's not for me personally as a, as a sort of aesthetic reaction, but also I'm not sure it looks that good for a 2D game released in 1997 on the PlayStation. I don't know what your thoughts about it are, but I don't... What looks better than it on the PlayStation? Well, I don't know about the PlayStation, but I would argue Super Metroid looks better on it on the SNES three years earlier. Absolutely not. I think Super Metroid's just caves. But like the character, like the actual design of the characters, how like big they are, how smooth looking they are. Like I, I don't feel Symphony of the Night looks very smooth. Richie was going to have an opinion there. No, I, I, I was just I, no. Richie was not going to have an opinion there. It's like they're big, well animated sprites. That's the fucking pinnacle for me. Like, to be fair, I have been harping on like the sort of minor things that put me off rather than the things that I do genuinely enjoy, which is sort of the combat, the variety. Yeah, of you're, the weapons. you're saying you weren't really into the soundtrack so much. Yeah, the music's not very. It's good. one. It's one of my, like. I mean, I, I kind of. I don't. I, I agree. I guess it's not one of my. It's not even in my top five as far as Castlevania soundtracks go. So, mm-hmm. but a lot of people fucking love that soundtrack. So, uh, well, and the voice acting is it early PS one? Ninety seven, so yeah. early ish. Mm. PS one soundtracks were a weird creature because obviously they made the jump to CDs. So yeah, we were like, we were having this conversation a lot recently. How a lot of like series that had really great game music just went to having kind of weird Apollo four forty shit yeah. going on. Like, yeah. because it was still one person that was. Doing the music, but new it was technology, like, mate. It was all when they realised they could put. It was like the Mega CD happened. Oh, they God, the Mega CD put. soundtracks were weird because it was always just a track on a CD that faded out at the end and then started again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, also I think what happened in the early PlayStation like they had the space to have you know sort of CD quality music, but only the budget for like one guy sitting with like a pretty shitty MIDI keyboard to make the music. So quite a lot of the the voices ended up being quite bad even though it was like sort of multi-track produced music yeah. I suppose they started learning towards then because one of the things about the Soul Reaver soundtrack is that used a sort of MIDI control system um, to give all the music 
layers so that it was like whatever was going on whatever realm you were in in the game and stuff it would it was the same tune but it'd be a different version every time and it would move that seamlessly kind of dynamic then in that sense. but that's again that's towards the end of the PS1 there is some good tunes in Symphony I like though I'd say some of the tunes are pretty good for certain parts uh, yeah one or two yeah. one or two I'll be, mm, yeah yeah the voice acting though is terrible in the English it, version. It's so it, bad. It's that, become legendary though because it's so bad. It's just, it's become a, a positive for the game almost. For it's, well, it's so bad that when they did like a a, a, a reissue of it, like a, a sort of platinum version, they actually redid the voice acting by popular request, which then became unpopular request as people sort of harked back to the the cult appeal. Of but if you want, if you want the Japanese voice acting, you can of course play the Saturn version. Well, can you? Yeah, you can. The Saturn version is, in every way, a worse game. The loading times are horrendous. It crashes quite a lot. But Richter and Maria are playable from the start, which is pretty cool. Yeah, well, you can play as them in... Well, you can play as Richter in the PlayStation version, I understand, once you've completed it. Like, you've got an option to name your save file, and if you name it as Richter Belmont, Mm. then you can play as Richter Belmont. Whip and all. Uh, but yeah, the, the 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 Saturn port came out like a year after the PlayStation one. It had like new levels, all the characters. There's new bosses, items, all that sort of stuff. There's more of the game, but like Barry says, it's, it's a terrible a, it's a port. Really bad port. And uh, and one of the the biggest crimes that you can commit in any form of audio visual creation. Brace yourself for this, Richie. They didn't take into account that the the resolution that the Saturn outputs is different from the PlayStation. So the sprites are all stretched. (laughs) It's a real shame because in terms of hardware, the Saturn is... It's more... It's a better better I'd say it's a better machine than the PlayStation in terms of hardware nowadays. Certainly for a 2D game. Aye. Yeah, it it should have the definitive version of this game. They managed to fucking ruin it. So good. Good job. Good job, Konami. Slow clap. But... I do recommend that you play it. It is still, you know, rightly regarded as a, a very, very good game and a very good evolution of the explore em up genre. And you can get it basically everywhere. PlayStation Network and Xbox Live Arcade is £8 on the PlayStation Network. Yes, but if you do have, uh, as with all PlayStation 1 games, well, with 99% of PlayStation 1 games, if you have a hard copy, you can put it in your PlayStation 3 and, and play it happily. I take it the version on the PS3 is like the PSN version, not PS1 Classics. Mm, I've got the PS1 Classics version on the Vita, so I guess that's what's on PSN. Because there is a. Port I think that a, that was only for live arcade. I oh think right, okay, for 360 only. Because obviously the 360 one's like an Maybe. HD. Yeah, but I mean, I, I just play the. the yeah, the yeah, PS1 it's not Classic like one. it's not like an upgraded version. Just play it on the Vita. The it's nice. It's real nice on the Vita, actually. Oh, right, okay. Don't need to change camera, so bonus. Yes. My stealing people's shoes joke when I was a bit sorry. Or <laughs> oh, <laughs> glad we got it recorded because it's going in. <laughs> Richard, please, won't you pick some wonderful Halloweeny music to play us out of this? This one more go. Okay. Well, um, so you've asked me to pick some Halloweeny music, so I've gone for New Ghostbusters Two on the NES, which. A lot of people might not know what that is, if you'd like to explain. New Ghostbusters 2 was um, 
a HAL Laboratories game. Yes. Which is uh, the first interesting thing. Second thing, you might not know what it is because uh, it was Japanese and European only. Yes. Um, now, so when you say Europe, do you mean mainland Europe and not us who are in Europe? No, we, we, we had uh, we I know we had it because I owned a copy as a child. Um but it's 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 an oddly rare game, um, and I, I didn't realise it was rare until I grew up and tried to find it. But um, yeah, so I'd certainly never heard of it. So yeah, so the, and and actually, I mean, I would say that it's probably my favourite Ghostbusters game. It's really great. It's got this. It's a top down. Um, it's something like five or six levels. It's not much, um, but you can choose to play as any two of the Ghostbusters and Lewis Tully. Oh, as a bonus character it's important to note that they're cute wee chibi sprites as yeah, well yeah. and uh, the great thing about it is, is you, you know you, you control the zapper and the trapper follows you um, and A you, you know you fire your proton gun with A and trap with B so you're holding ghosts while your second trapper runs around and when he's in position you hit B and he sucks up the ghost it's a it's a good wee game. Bloody Real great nice. game. But well, one so, thing that was uh, really cool about the game was the music, uh, which was composed by Jun Ishikawa, yeah. uh, who... Kirby fame. Of Kirby fame, who um, composed all the music for the Kirby games. Now, most of the music in the game is sort of reworkings of uh, the tunes from Ghostbusters 2 itself. Oh, man, so there's like a NES chiptune version of Lifting Me Higher. No, unfortunately not. Oh. <laughs> you get the Bobby Brown stuff. But they got though. the Bobby Brown stuffs in there, yeah. Um, and there's a couple of original ones in there, and I'm going to go for one of the original ones. Now, the interesting thing about this track is that it's so Kirby. So, I mean, if you played it and listened to it, you would think that's from a Kirby game, but um, it's not. It's from a Ghostbusters Just game. Just think about Bill Murray in that. It's from the apartment level. Cool. Well, we'll hear that in a wee minute, but um, I guess we should just say cheerio. It's been it's been another wonderful Halloween we've had. There's we've all eaten so many monkey nuts. Richie especially. He's got, he's got and now he's got shells a, in his hair. Everything. Now he's got a clementine jammed in his mouth. Uh, but thanks for joining us, Richie. Just totally, of, man. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Will you come back and talk about Cosmic Spacehead one time? Yeah, good lad. Oh, the, when we originally were going to do this, I was going to talk about Cosmic Spacehead, but then it became a spooky episode. Sorry, man. So went for, but you can all look forward to that next time. <laughs> not next time. Another time. Yeah, another, another time. time another sorry, time. Yeah, but yeah. we'll be back probably, if not next month, we will definitely be back for Christmas. Yeah, which is always a, a glorious affair on one more go. So, if you want to stay in contact with us in the meantime, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at One More Go Pod, or you can follow us individually at No Stopping Epoch at Nicole Hay or. Uh, at Laszlo Panaflex. Laszlo Un- underscore Panaflex. Don't even know your own Twitter handle. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> this is why I tried to interject. I was like, he's going to, he's not going to, he's not going to remember. He doesn't know, he doesn't know he doesn't himself. Know. He needs help. Um, you can email us, uh, one more goal podcast at gmail.com. You can Tumblr. look at all of our lovely yes. gifts and there will be gifts from all three of these games. Well, uh, I don't know if I can be bothered making gifts of Soul Reaver. I don't know if I can look at no, it. No, you have. You need to get a gift. Just put up a corn video instead. <laughs> um, but that will be at onemoregopodcast.tumblr.com. And as always, if you like the show, please pass it around to anyone you think might be interested in it too. Because um, we've had a lot of people come recently and say they've discovered the show. They've been going back, listening to the old episodes. That's always nice to hear. So please pass it around if you if you enjoy. Spread it. the love. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Join us next time for more games that we used to love, games that we still love, games that we hope you'll love too.